Hey brothers, this is Justin with Masonic Improvement. It's been a while since I made a video. I apologize for that. Um, things are very busy for me right now. So like I mentioned on my Facebook page, if you follow me there, um, I'll be posting things kind of irregularly for a while. So, but don't think I've, you know, walked away from this uh, Masonic Improvement from my project or anything. I'm still working on this. It's just, it has to take a back seat to other things I have going on for the time being until I... I don't know until I get um, better reins on things I guess so all that aside the reason that I'm making this video is because there's been a lot of talk in the Masons of Texas uh, Facebook page which I bring up pretty often but it's a it's a really great forum for, for conversation about Masonic issues and this particular topic that came up was about black balls or black cubes and here in Texas you currently have to have three black cubes to reject a candidate. And the discussion was that um, up until probably like the early 90s, it was one black cube or black ball. I'll just call it black ball because it rolls off the tongue better. But uh, it was one black ball that, that was all it took. One black ball was all it took to reject the candidate. And the reasons for this are pretty well known. Um, it... There was there was concern that people were were blackballing people for reasons that they shouldn't, but you know you can still do that with three blackballs, uh, like I like I mentioned on the on the Facebook page. Um, if you really have to get somebody, and as long as you're not being Masonic anyway, you could get one or two buddies together and go to a lodge and blackball the candidate. And I mean, it's still feasible. It's just, it's just, I guess, more difficult. But I mean, it's not a whole lot more more difficult than it was. My stance is and always has been that we need to go back to the one black ball rule. I really see no uh, true advantage over having three black balls. But you know, from from a individual lodge perspective, it's it's more beneficial to just have to rely on one black ball. You shouldn't need several people saying that they don't think that's a good person to be in the fraternity or in that lodge. It should really just be just one member. And I'm going to give a whole lot of reasoning behind this. And this is my personal reasoning. And keep in mind that I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really concerned with people's feelings uh, in, in, in regards to many things like this. And it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm not a cold person, but it's, it's, I think society has gotten too soft. And so my reasonings may seem a little, little harsh and maybe a little kind of outdated, but they're my reasoning. So <laughs> if you've been watching my channel for a while, um, you know, it's my opinions are my opinions and you don't have to agree with them, but I'll throw them out as food for thought. Say, for example, you have a lodge and you have several members that are already pre-existing members of that lodge. The thing is that this is their lodge and it's they have a right to determine who joins and who doesn't and and really you could say it's not masonic and it's probably not but the fact is that every individual member has a right to determine what criteria he's going to choose if someone is worthy of joining that particular lodge and and yes, I mean, that does open the door. You know, you could say, well, that guy, what if you have a racist guy? Or what if you have someone that's homophobic? Or what if he doesn't like Muslims? 
And and really, if you're worried about that, that's your fault for not watching the West Gate. That's your that's your fault for not carefully examining people before they came in, because we don't want people like that in our fraternity. But the fact is, once that person is a member of your lodge, and you make him a master mason, he has a right to vote however he feels is right, even if from your perspective relatively or even even from a moral perspective moral perspective moral perspective he's wrong but you gave him that right and the thing is if you're doing everything like you should be you're never going to know why he voted that way because the ballot is is kind of a sacred thing you're not supposed to know who voted what way and why you're not supposed to talk about why you voted a certain way you did and so you you never really know why someone voted the way they did and, you know, they say, going back to that earlier justification where they're saying, you know, people were blackballing people for p- political reasons or other petty reasons. Well, are you making assumptions or is that something that they stated? And if it's something that they stated, they shouldn't be talking about that anyway. All the more reason just to guard the Westgate, long story short. And um, because if you don't like the way, if you don't like the idea of certain people voting certain ways, don't let me fraternity. And I know it's easier said than done, but we have a duty to the Westgate. And in many lodges, that Westgate is not even, it's not even on its hinges. You know, if you put a petition, you get in. So that's our fault. We need to pay more attention to that process. And as far as guarding the Westgate, as long as I'm talking about that, the one black ball makes that easier to do. You're not relying on other people seeing things the same way you do. I shouldn't have to, you know, if I feel for whatever reason, that that man should not be a, a Freemason, I shouldn't have to drop, drop a black cube and hope other people see that the same way I do. And in many cases, it may just be a gut feeling. And, you know, it, it, that's that's hard because it's really hard to justify a gut, a gut feeling, but I've had gut feelings before, and I admit I let them in. Not that it would have mattered because it would have been just one black cube, but it turned out that was not wise. And I've had people say, you know, how would you feel if that happened to you? I mean, how would you feel if someone dropped a black ball on you? You know, um, it would have been inconvenient. I probably still would have petitioned again a year later. And that, that's really what it is. It's an inconvenience. It's not, no, you can't ever join the fraternity. It's, no, you need to wait a year and try again. And like I said in, um, hmm, I don't remember what the name of it was, but I'll post it here somewhere. But there was a, another video I made some time ago, and that you know the one black the one black ball was was pretty common occurrence for for new petitioners. You know, basically the first time you petitioned, you almost always got a black ball in many lodges, and that was just to, just to determine if you really were interested in coming back, if you really wanted to be a member. You have to be a pretty sorry person right now to get three black balls, and. I, you know, that's, that's good. I mean, to that extent, it's still working. But what if you just don't think they're cut out for the fraternity? What if you just don't think they're a good fit for your lodge? You know, what if, you, you know, so it might be a really good guy, but you know he's not joining for the right reasons? Or what if you know a particular reason? What if you know something about someone that's petitioning that um, something you know, but everyone else doesn't need to know? What do you do then? Your one black ball doesn't really have an effect. And it should. It should have weight. And you shouldn't have to uh, worry about feeling as though you're slandering somebody or something to, to keep them out of your fraternity. 
And another argument that gets made is, well, that's the purpose of the investigation committee. And no, I don't really think so. Uh, it's, I, the investigation committee is an important part of the process, but it also feels almost like a formality. Uh, the investigation committee is important because it gives the lodge another opportunity to, to get to know the, the petitioner. It gets us an opportunity, to, if we're doing it right, to see their house, to see kind of how they live, you know, their, their family, meet their family, talk to their wife, things like that. But really, the, the investigation committee's report is it shouldn't be the final say. And there's people that, you know, they're like, well, the investigation committee says it's good. You should just, you know, say, okay, and drop a cube or a ball. You know, go ahead and let them in. And that's 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 careless. You're letting the future of your fraternity depend on what what other people say. It, it needs to be something that you know. And here's the thing. So say you have an investigation committee and they're assigned to visit with a petitioner. You know, he turns out to be, you know, a raving lunatic, some kind of sociopath. Um, not the kind of person you want in the fraternity and really not the kind of person that you want to be within, you know, any you know, any kind of uh, communication or association with. Well, here's the thing. He's going to find out that the investigation committee said he was a no-go. And he met all three of you. So even if he doesn't know your names, which he might because you go to, you know, you shake his hand and say hi and introduce yourself. He has a face and a name now. And so you don't want that. And so it's it's that's why it's, so important to to really be able to rely on that actual ballot, that anonymous ballot where everybody has a vote. Nobody knows who voted and nobody knows why they voted, but that one black ball makes all the difference. And it needs to be unanimous because if not everybody wants you in that lodge, then it's not for you because it was their... <laughs> and this is where it's going to sound really superficial. It was their lodge first. You know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, it's my club. It's my club first, and I get to decide who gets to join. And, <laughs> and really, at the end of the day, you don't need any more reason than that. And if, and 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 really, to be to be frank, if there's a lodge, and, and we're talking about, it could be a big lodge, but I'm talking about a small lodge. And there's one or two guys that, for whatever reason, it doesn't even have to be a good reason, but they don't like you. Go find another lodge anyway. <laughs> I mean, it, it's you against against you know, a few people that are already pre-established in that lodge. They're going to have friends there. You know, who knows what their position is. You don't want to join a lodge where, where there is some kind of toxicity going on or things that are abrasive. Find somewhere else. And that, that's, that's, really what, that's really what it comes down to. So anyway, that, that's how I feel about the, the current black ball situation. It's it, like like many of my opinions. It is probably not a popular opinion, but it is what it is. And I mean, that's if you keep coming back to my channel, you know I, I have lots of opinions on things. And this is something I've been meaning to talk about for a while, anyway. So, long story short, uh, three black ball rule is not really very beneficial. It makes it more difficult to guard the West Gate, and the one black ball rule that we had, you know, for the majority of our existence as a Grand Lodge of Texas is, is superior. Going back to it will not make the whole organization implode, like many people seem to think. And it allows you to guard your Westgate better. 
and gives you more control as an individual over who gets to join and not join your lodge. And if you're worried about people voting for the wrong reasons, then you need to be more careful about who you let in in the first place. That's all I have about that one. Thank you again, as always, for watching. If you have not checked out my Facebook page before, please go ahead and click the link below. Give it a like so you can keep up with other things that are going on besides just watching me ramble on Facebook. I mean, YouTube. I have a blog that um, has several articles on it. I haven't updated it in a while, but it's there. I have an Instagram, which also needs some attention. But there, there's, lots of, there's lots of different things. And my Facebook is pretty active. I also have a Patreon. So if you want to... I don't know, support the channel anyway, or if you just want to pay me to shut up, <laughs> that's an option. So um, check out my Patreon if you feel like anything I've ever said has has been any kind of benefit to you or the fraternity or your lodge in any way, and that would really be appreciated because that will come back, that money comes back to the channel, and I reinvest it into this project. <sighs> I think that's everything. So I'll see you all in the next one. Take care as always, and... And have a good day. Bye-bye. Hey, brothers. This is Jessa with Masonic Improvement. Today, I want to talk to you about something I've written about before but it's been a while since we talked about it and that is the West Gate. Now for those of you that aren't familiar with this term because I wasn't the first time I heard about it the West Gate is hmm there's not really a great definition for it but to me it alludes to or it's referring to the the process and ultimate entry of a of a new mason into the fraternity so by the process I'm talking about um, the petitioning process the investigation process and and the admittance you know up leading up to the time he comes in and receives his first degree and the Westgate uh, physically is referring to you know that that first door he passes into when he uh, first comes into the lodge during his degree so, so that's, that's really what that's talking about. You know, so the West Gate is basically um, that gateway through which um, non-members become members. <clears throat> and this is kind of a, one of those topics where um, people seem to be really divided on. And, but the majority of Masons seem to feel as though there is a membership problem, which I agree with, but not the same uh, kind of problem that they are referring to the the membership problem that the majority of Masons seem to think we have is that we don't have enough brothers in the fraternity but I feel the opposite way I feel as though we have too many brothers in the fraternity and I know for a lot of people that's like that sounds like the most absurd thing that you could you know you could say but my mentality is quality over quantity and we have a, a lot of Masons right now, and we even had more in the past, but were they all the highest quality men they could be? And you can't say they were because every one of you can think of 
at least a handful of Masons that should never have joined the fraternity or never should have been allowed to have joined the fraternity. And you can think of uh, several other Masons that they were, they were allowed to join mainly, mainly because, you know, they could pay the entry fee. They didn't have, that's, that's this finger, not, not the middle finger. They, um, they could pay the entry fee. They didn't have a criminal record and they were men. Oh, and they, uh, claimed to have a faith in deity and that's really it and after they got in um, they may have gone through all the degrees they may not have but after they got in you could see no progress um, to their towards their character meaning that they didn't apply any of the lessons of, of the fraternity they have not really worked on becoming better men so they may have been good men or even okay men but they never worked on becoming better men and the question is, really, should they have been allowed in the fraternity? Because you're, you're allowing all these people to join. You're, you're giving away the secrets of the fraternity. And I know some people say there are no secrets, but I made a whole other video about that. But you're, 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 you're cheapening the fraternity by, by giving it to more people. Um, and so really, we need to be far more selective in who we allow to join. And I could talk a whole video on the cheapening of fraternity, which is probably a good idea, which I need to do pretty soon. But it's, it's, you can't have quality and quantity at the same time. I'm sorry. If you look at like mass production, you know, you have, you can have a company that produces a lot of toys cheaply, or they can produce a few toys, um, relatively speaking, fewer toys of much higher quality but you can't churn out a ton of high quality stuff with a large quantity generally the, the the larger the quantity the faster you're doing it the lower the quality is going to be and you see that in lodges all the time especially um <coughs> especially during the you know the golden era when they were doing degrees all the time and you see men coming in and they're just you know as fast as they can put them in through the degrees they're joining and you had a severe lack in quality. Not, not to say that they were all low quality men, but you let a lot of people through the cracks. And now that fraternity is paying for this, especially in those lodges and jurisdictions where these men were allowed to, um, were, weren't, not, I shouldn't say allowed, but where these men stuck with the fraternity and um, worked into leadership positions. And to be clear, I'm definitely not suggesting that we have this, that problem at the Grand Lodge level here in Texas but I do know there there are some jurisdictions where um, if you look at their behavior in the last few years you could probably deduce that maybe that um, this is the case and I would certainly suggest and I know this for a fact that this is a problem at lodge level across the state not necessarily every lodge but there's lots of lodges where this is an issue and so you have this epidemic where um, the west gate in most lodges is wide open. Hell, it's probably not even on the hinges at many, at many lodges. It's long since fell off the hinges and it's been propped up against the wall and forgotten all about. And it's just open entry. And uh, just to give an example, you know, I've sat in lodges before where visitors came in interested in joining the fraternity. Didn't know a soul in the building. And before they left... They had a petition and they had all the signatures they needed. And if you're telling me that that is okay, then 
you and I disagree on some fundamental level about how easily people should be allowed to join our fraternity. Now, as for some suggestions, if you're open to that, um, I know Fort Worth Masonic Lodge has this policy and is something that we've toyed with at my lodge. And I think it's very effective. And that is that if you want to petition the lodge, you have to, um, basically you have to attend that lodge for at least six months. And that's not saying, you're, not, you're obviously not going to go and sit in the lodge meeting, but if there's a lodge event, you show up, uh, you eat dinner with the brethren, you get to know everybody, my dogs, and after that six months, if the brothers feel good about you joining their lodge, then you get a petition and, you know, the whole investigation process begins and everything. And if at any point one of those brothers feel as though maybe this got in a good fit or maybe we need more time to get to know that guy, then those steps are taken. You know, they may, six months is the minimum. And at the end of those six months, if, if a lot of brothers, you know, just don't feel comfortable giving that guy a petition, then, you know, for whatever reason, then he doesn't get a petition. And it may be something, you know, as simple as, you know, we don't feel as though this is the lodge for you. Or it may be we don't feel as though you're a good fit for Freemasonry. And you don't have to give out those petitions. You're not, you're not obligated to give those out. If you don't feel comfortable giving those to a, a man, then don't. Guard them carefully. And as, all, as long as we're talking about the investigation process, um, it is strongly encouraged to, that you actually visit that man at his house and a lot of people aren't really comfortable with that but if you're not comfortable going to this guy's house why would you feel comfortable letting him letting him into your lodge and the best policy you know is just to go separately visit them at the lodge separately at different times that way you are getting a glimpse into this person's um, life at you know different different times you know anyone could clean up their house you know one time just to just to uh, impress somebody but if you got three different guys come into your house you know three different days you know you can tell a lot more it's it's not as easy to keep up that facade and this gives you a great opportunity you know meet the wife meet the kids pet the dog you know is this guy I hate to say it, is he a slob you know does he take care of his yard you know and these are these are all small things but you know if if the guy if the guy's a filthy slob and he didn't take care of anything and it's and once you meet the wife, if she doesn't like the idea of him joining the lodge, you know, if the, you know, there's all kinds of red flags that could, that could come up. And these are things you don't, you just don't see if the three people on the investigation committee meet the guy at lodge and sit down with him for 10 minutes and then sign him off. And that is the norm. Unfortunately, that's what we do. And so it's, it's just, it's just, it's frustrating. And we have, we have, it's not just a, a Freemason problem. It's, it's a human condition, I guess. And that is, we default to whatever the basic standard is. And if you can get by, the basic standard is you have to have an investigation committee. And if you can get by just just meeting you know, at lodge around the table, then most people will do that. If you can get by without going to their house, most people will do that. If you can get by without saying, I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable giving you a petition, then most people will do that. But just because that is... The easiest route to take doesn't mean it's the correct route. And one last thing. And so I said earlier that I feel as though we have too many members. And and that is a result, you know, of, of you know, the golden age, air quotes there. But I don't feel as though we're in some kind of Masonic crisis. 
you know, yes, we're going to lose a lot, a lot of members. It's it's going to happen no matter what you do. It's just going to happen. But um, how we react to that and how we anticipate that as a fraternity is going to determine how well we come out on top at the end of this. Um, this gives us, I mean, it, this this huge influx of members we had was abnormal. And we're returning back to a norm. And we have to accept that. Now, as lodges, if we do not prepare for lodges with less members, then yes, we're going to close a lot of doors. And we're going to close a lot of doors regardless. But, you know, as a lodge, if you do not prepare for finding a way to operate um, with less members, then then you're going to close your doors. And I'm talking... I'm talking uh, from a from an officer standpoint, you know, having enough people to fill the chairs. I'm talking from a financial standpoint, meaning, you know, are your dues going to be high enough where where when you lose a lot of members, you can still function? Now, the good news is that younger generations of men are interested in the fraternity, and I've discussed this before. But you know, it's on us to provide that to provide that um, experience that they expect, or else they're going to be gone. <laughs> And, you know, you can say whatever you want about the millennials, you know, love them or hate them, but, you know, Freemasonry already missed one generation of men, and it hurt us dearly. And, you know, if you, if we lose this generation, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be much worse. I mean, dire. And this isn't a doom and gloom kind of thing. Like I said, I mean, I'm coming from this viewpoint that, you know, we already have too many members and that, that's going to shrink. But those, those few good and golden men that we should have got from the uh, from that generation that we missed and those leaders that we need from this millennial generation that could easily pass us by are, are going to make the difference between um, a, a good future and a more difficult one. At least that, that's, that's, that's just how I feel. And it's, again, it's not trying to be doom or gloom. But we did we did miss out on some opportunities in the past. Anyway, that's all I had to say about that, at least for now. Um, if you haven't checked out my Facebook page, I will put a link below. Please go ahead and um, click it and hit like so you can keep up with my Facebook content. Um, things have been slow due to real life things going on, but I do tend to post more on Facebook than I do on YouTube. Um, I also have a blog, which I will probably embed this video in a related post but um, I have a blog if you have any desire to check that out quite a bit of content on there and of course you are welcome to print any of that out and present that to your lodge if you want to also I have a a patreon account now which I would very much appreciate if you could check that out sometime and the purpose of that was not for um, my financial gain so much as it is for funding this project um, there are a lot of things that I would like to be able to do with it that ultimately require some form of, invest- of investment. And while I am willing to do that myself, any um, funding that you may feel the need to throw my way will definitely help me to do that more quickly. One last thing that I almost forgot. I am currently working on adding on to my Masonic library. So if you would in the comments, please just share with me the best Masonic book that you've ever read. 
Or if you had to just downsize your Masonic library to one book, what book would you keep in your library? Anyhow, I think that covers all I had to say. I'll see you on the next one. Thanks again for watching.